1: Now, we're going to discuss a sensitive topic now, just to be aware of that before I begin. Um, You have been so helpful over the years with Live 95 Helping Limerick Children, and the 2022 edition is getting underway. And Helping Limerick Children here at Live 95 is backing, of course, Children at Risk Ireland carry, who have their headquarters here in Limerick, and they're appealing for people and businesses to get behind their first ever 100k in 100 days appeal. They want to raise €100,000. Carries based on the Ennis Road and provides child-centred therapy and counselling services to children, families and groups who've been affected by child sexual abuse. Their general manager, Colm O'Brien, is on the line and survivor of sexual abuse, Joanne, is also with us uh, this morning and you are both very welcome. Uh, Joanne, uh, thank you very much for chatting to us this morning. Uh, Tell us a little of your story, please.
0: Hi, Joe. Good morning. Thanks a million for having me on. Yeah, so um, I've had a couple of experiences of child sexual abuse tr- during my childhood. And probably the most significant one was when I was 16, I fell into the wrong relationship and I was sexually abused and I became pregnant uh, while I was in school. And that really led the fate of the rest of my life, really. um left really dark shadows and a lot of challenges along the way, even to this day.
1: Tell me a bit about the initial impact of it, and then the longer term uh, effect.
0: Yeah. So the initial impact, um, I I came from a family where it was it was you could call it a broken family. Um, it wasn't a very harmonious family. My father drank quite a lot, and my mother had to deal with that. And there was six children in the family, including myself. I'm the eldest, and we also had a, a two year two year old young child in the family at the time. But it was. Uh, a lot of us living in a very small bedroom house, uh, dealing with all that and I felt uh, like an outcast. I didn't feel like I was loved or I belonged to the family and uh, my mother was dealing with a lot of distractions um, around this problem. So therefore I felt unloved and during the summer of 1988, I fell in with a long crowd. I was very vulnerable, very naive and um, I was love-bombed by this man, a very much older man and uh, I was, I was I was taken, taken into this so easily because I was so naive. I, want, I had needs. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be seen. And uh, when I did go out with this man for a few weeks, I soon came to realise he was actually a very dangerous man. Um, and um, he, he threatened me. He um, uh, attacked me uh, a couple of times, actually. But the last time that this happened, I ran away from the scene and I just knew that I was pregnant. When the incident happened, uh, I was actually wearing my school uniform. Um, I'd literally just started back in school and uh, I had no idea who to turn to. Um, I knew I couldn't ring the doctor because I was a minor. He would want to tell my mother. I had no friends. I had no older brothers or sisters, I could tell. I was totally alone, absolutely scared, terrified. I just didn't know what to do, Joe. It was, it was just a hopeless situation that I was in. Right,
1: and Joanne, how did things develop from there?
0: So after a couple of months, um, the man... Uh, actually threatened me. Um he threatened me for money and he also waited at the end of my road for me to come out of the house so he could threaten me again and I literally locked myself in the house. I was still actually going to school in the mornings um, and when I used to get the bus to school he'd wait for me at the bus stop and if I got on at the previous bus stop he'd get on at the, the next bus stop and he'd literally sit up at me and stalk me and terrorise me. Um, I was petrified. I used to go into school literally soaking and wet with the with the uh the fright, the, I, I was terrorised. That's the word that I would use. I didn't know where to get off the bus or stay on the bus because he could follow me to school. It was a bit of a walk to the school. Um, he stalked me for a few months. Um, the, the local parish priest came to hear about this as well and tipped my mother off. and The guards even came involved in this as well. Um, that's another long story. But uh, basically, he was known to be a very violent and dangerous man.
1: Right. And Joanne, what about the pregnancy that you mentioned?
0: So my mother didn't find out um, until I was about four or five months pregnant. She knew I was de- death warmed up. I just looked awful. Um, I, uh, she just didn't look the like of me at all. <clears throat> um, the morning sickness that I had, I had to hide that because we only had one bathroom. And um, I used to do my own washing, so I got away with that. I used to wash my own clothes, and my own towels, so I got away with that. But I used to hide the morning sickness. I was very sick with morning sickness. Um, but my mother found out when I was about five months pregnant, and from there, um, the head nun of the school that I was in and another friend of my mother got together, and they organised me to stay in a girls' home where there was other pregnant girls who were having the same kind of similar problems. Um, so I went there for two months until I had my baby. Now I was in my Leaving Cert year, so can you imagine? Um, all this chaos during my leave and start year. Um, I was always a very good student um, so we arranged for me to sit my leave and exams and I was actually due my baby around the time my leave-and-search so it was arranged for me to sit my leave and in the hospital should I go into labour but I managed to finish my exams and literally on the last day of my exam I went into labour and I had my baby a few days later.
1: Okay and, and from there?
0: So, um, so after that, I came home from the hospital and, um, my mother thought it might be a good idea for me to live on my own because I was such an independent, um, child. Um, but the thought of that again, um, brought me back to, oh, my mom doesn't love me. My mom doesn't want me. Um, but I chose to stay at home. However, when I stayed at home, my father got worse with the drink and, um, uh, it just got worse and worse and worse and I was driven to get out of the house I, I got work um, I saved really really hard and actually the first job that I got um, I was let go when they soon learned that I was uh, a single mother um, they, they actually fired me out of the job for no reason and the previous day they told me they were they were training me in on something new that they were so happy with my progress but when they found out that I had a child just through a conversation it was a family run business and um, they put two and two together and uh, they fired me So, I went back to my bedroom again, locked myself in the bedroom again, and I said to my mother, is this what life is going to be like, is this how people are going to treat me? People don't even know me, they're judging me without even knowing me.
1: Um, And and Joanne, what about your baby?
0: So, my baby, um, I got to, I kept my baby, I didn't want my baby up until seven months, until I was seven months pregnant, I was actually wanting to give the baby away. My mother pleaded with me to keep the baby. Uh, She promised that she'd help me wear the baby. Um, So, that happened, and... I saved very hard. Got a, got jo- got a work. Got job. Got jobs. Got a work. Oh, journey, Got work rather. And um, I managed to buy my own car and buy my own house. And I moved out a few years later. I was only 21, 22 when I moved out, bought my own house. I was blessed. And um, my son came to live with me a year later when I managed to get more money together to, for childminding. So he came to live with me, and um, that was kind of the start of my total independence, if you like. It was tough. Um, I didn't want to have any relationships with anybody, uh, certainly. And um, I lived on my own for, for quite a long time before I started having relationships.
1: Right. And Joanna, I think you said that that was the most significant uh, instance of abuse. But it wasn't the only one you suffered, if I understand correctly.
0: Yeah, there was, there was a couple of others. But probably the other most significant one was uh, when I was six years old. Um, and I didn't even realise that this was, was sexual abuse. Um, I was in Cabra in um, Dublin. And, uh, that's where my nanny lived. And I was lured into a next door neighbor's house with sweets. They promised me sweets if I, if I did things for them. Um, this happened a couple of times. It happened during one summer. And I remember I was 60 because it was just before I made my Holy Communion, my first Holy Communion. Can you imagine me walking down the, in the church with a white dress on? And this is actually happening only a few weeks ago, a few weeks prior to my first Holy Communion. Um, but, uh, I remember one day we were going home, and my mother was chatting at the door to the mother uh, in the house, and the two men were uh, behind the lady. And I said, "Where's my sweets?" And they told me "shh," and uh, they were terrified I was going to say something, and uh, they wouldn't give me the sweets. And George, you know what? I said, "You know what? I'm not going to let anyone take advantage of me now. Lie to me now and tell me, promise me they'd give me sweets. Innocence of my little mind, you know." And uh, I, I didn't, I didn't do anything for them again because they wouldn't give me sweets. They lied to right. me. And from that day to this, I have an I- well, I, I had an issue with trust. People lying to me. Yeah. Um,
1: mm. um, well, Joanne, first of all, thank you very much for telling us uh, this story. Um, th- the other thing is, uh, carry uh, children at risk. Ireland, th- <laughs> and organisations like that, they weren't really present when you might have reached out. Is that right?
0: Exactly. I had absolutely nobody. I had no inclination of any help or any groups, any support groups, or anything like that. I had no inclination. They weren't around, for for sure.
1: What difference might they have made to you?
0: Absolutely huge. I would have picked the phone up to anybody to have a conversation, even just a conversation to give me some kind of direction, um, just to, you know, um, give me some kind of support, because I was so alone. I was so in the dark. I was so frightened, so hopeless. Um, I was suicidal Joe, I just did not I couldn't even visualise my life 12 months from that point onwards um, I just couldn't visualise, it. I couldn't imagine it at all whatsoever um, support from Carrie, even just to be able to have that conversation because they would have helped me in a, a direction or given me, brought me back to reality somehow and known that they would have given me some kind of support
1: Right. And Joanne, what were the circumstances that led you to helping Carrie by telling your story in the way you are this morning and I know you've done it in other places too
0: yeah, well, you know what? It's really opened up in the last couple of months, maybe the last year for me, Joe. And um, you know, I've been doing a lot of counselling work. I even became um, a health coach myself. Um, I lost my daughter in two thousand and seven, um, and it was it was when I got married, and my husband wants to have a child, um, and we lost my baby right on the day that she was due. Like, we I carried her full term, and it was that point where the transition was. Uh, And a few years later, after that, I met a spiritual lady who brought me in and showed me how to be kind to myself, how to love myself, how to um, live life from the heart. And um, what I got to see, Joe, was how powerful I was and how powerful each and every one of us human beings are. And from that day onwards, I wanted to share that with people, but I didn't know how. But I still carried a lot of shame around what happened. I blamed myself for what happened. I should have known better. Um, You know, I was 16 um, I was responsible enough, independent, I should have said something, but I carried that guilt and that shame I was mortified and embarrassed to even tell anyone for a very long time for years afterwards but, um, but the reason why I want to work with Kerry now is I met mm-hmm. Colin O'Brien, an amazing incredible man, with a big heart and I met him a few years ago through business and we just kept coming back together again, it was a synchronicity thing, he interviewed me on his, his platform and one thing led to another he became the manager for for Carrie, I just started working with him, and he knew my story, and it was just synchronicity. And I really wanted to back Carrie; they're an incredible organisation. I've met every single one of them. This work is vitally, vitally, vitally needed. I can't stress this enough. Children are so vulnerable and naive, and they can't even um, articulate what's going on when they're so young because the brain can't comprehend it. So we need to help families and parents and create an awareness of what's going on. Because believe you me, there's a lot more going on than we even know, and a lot more going on than that. Children and families are even coming forward for us. So it's very serious because this sets kids up for their life. And it's a very serious, um, and we want to intervene at an early age before it impacts their whole life.
1: Right. We're chatting to Joanne, uh, Live95 Helping Limerick <laughs> Children 2022, again supporting our long-term partners, carry their national headquarters now in Limerick. They've been doing amazing work locally and nationally for a long time. And uh, Joanne mentioned uh, Colm O'Brien, as I did earlier. He's the general manager there. They're based on the Ennis Road these days as their HQ. Good morning to you, Colm. Um, and Joanne gives us uh, an insight into why what you do is so important, but also the real pressure that carry is under locally and nationally now and why you have launched this 100K in 100 days appeal. Well,
2: Joe, thank you yet again, once again, for uh, for being so supportive of and the work we do at Carrie and uh, Joanne Callahan, uh, such a brave lady, Joanne. Thank you from all of us here at Carrie uh, for being willing to share your story, because it must be very difficult, and, and you have to relive it every time you do. Um, so it's a, it's a challenge. What's very interesting here, Joe, is that Joanne's child, her baby, was born uh, in her leaving search year in 1989, which is the year Carrie was founded. So Carrie wasn't around at the time that Joanne experienced uh, her, her that incident. Um, however, Carrie has been around since 1989 and doing its best to help children and families where child sexual abuse has been uh, experienced and has, has been reported. And, you know, just Picking up on Joanna's last comments there, um, I I don't think we're even seeing the, the, we're scratching the surface of this um, uh, societal malaise at all. There were 4,331 cases of child sexual abuse reported to TUSA nationally in uh, 2021 and uh, that's up 36% since 2017, so that's a a one-third increase, more than one-third increase in five years. Now the question is, is that because it's becoming more prevalent or people are beginning to speak more out about it? And we'd like to think the latter. We'd like to think that uh, we're we're helping break the silence, and indeed, Joe, you and all of Live95 have been doing that for years, so thank you uh, on behalf of us all. But we have a challenge. Uh, Our waiting list literally doubled, more than doubled in 2020 alone. Uh, We've been in this um, sector for 33 years now. And in one year, 2020, our waiting list literally doubled, went from 92 people on our waiting list, 92 children on our waiting list, to uh, 198 children on our waiting list in one year alone. And when you have an organization and you start looking at at trends, you've got to ask yourself, well, what changed in that year? And The one thing that changed in that year, Joe, as we all remember, is lockdown our government asked us to stay at home and stay safe. And it would appear, regrettably, that home was the least safe place that uh, some children could find themselves locked down. So uh, they reached out and they reached out to carry And so now our, our challenge as an organisation uh, is that we are uh, running really hard just to stand still, just to cope with the numbers on our waiting list. And we have, in 2020, we have uh, created facilities, as you've mentioned, our headquarters is, is on the Ennis Road there. And uh, we have a new facility opening in Dublin in the next number of weeks. And we will then have 12 therapy rooms available to us at all times. And 12 therapy rooms that could see four families in a day each means we could be seeing 240 uh, we could be conducting 240 therapeutic sessions in one week. However, and this is the challenge, uh, we don't have enough funding to hire enough psychotherapists to fill those rooms. So we've got empty therapy rooms, That uh, and, an, and an empty therapy room mean means a child sitting at home in fear and pain and perhaps shame, as Joanne mentioned, and a family in anguish. So and and what's
1: rich- key here, Colm, is that the waiting list, if it were to remain as it is right now could mean years before someone gets the help they really need.
2: Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Um, The the way we're funded at the moment and the number of psychotherapists, and these are wonderful people, I could not do what they do, um, but they, they do it for their own reasons, and they do it because they see the impact, the positive impact of the work they do. But it would take us five years to clear that waiting list, unless we get some emergency funding into hiring more psychotherapists, and here's the challenge: we deal with children as young as the age of three. Can you imagine the exacerbated impact of such horrific trauma if that child and the family has to wait five years? That child could be eight before they get the help they need. And if we go back to Joanne's story, if I I may, a very brave lady, and Joanne, yet again, thank you for stepping up and being brave because you're absolutely helping break the silence and we invite more survivors to come forth, male and female, and engage with us and see can we, we together create a movement here to break the silence. If we break the silence, we can break the cycle. But Joanne's story she didn't get into the detail of uh, uh, her stillborn child, but uh, and perhaps you might have a moment to go back to her and just ask her about the circumstances, but the challenge was her relationship with her husband at the time had been severely impacted because she didn't get the help. She didn't know how to cope with what had happened. That's what we're trying to do in Carrie. We're trying, we've are we made ourselves available to help families and children who've been impacted by child sexual abuse to learn how to deal with We can never turn the clock back and have it not happen. The right. question is, what can
1: we do from okay. here? OK, but, but, well, what can we do from here? I mean, what are you asking? What is this 100K in 100 days appeal by Carrie?
2: We are asking uh, individuals and we're asking companies to get creative. Whatever it is an individual does, whether, whether it's knitting or running or climbing or swimming or walking the dog, see can you get creative and turn that into a fundraiser. Fundraising idea for Carrie. Uh You can connect, Text the word HELPING, H-E-L-P-I-N-G, to 50300 and you'll donate €4 straight away. We'd invite you to do that. We're uh, r- uh, launching this appeal up to raise €100,000 in 100 days, the next 100, 100 days. If you're part of a company and uh, you're uh, so inclined, why don't you get your work colleagues to get together and get creative and do a run-a-thon or a knit a or whatever it might be. Uh, I don't, we, don't, we don't have a monopoly on great ideas. We're just asking people to get creative. And uh, if you to believe that uh, Carrie's cause is a deserving one, uh, to help children who've been sexually abused and their families uh, get, get to a point of healing, well, then uh, we'd welcome your support. If you have a company and uh, you'd like to get involved with us in some larger way, we'd be delighted to hear from you. If you own a company and you've got staff that you'd like to get engaged and get creative around, how will your organisation raise a €1,000? If we a if we'd 100 companies or, indeed, 100 individuals uh, here in Limerick and the Midwest who would pledge to raise a thousand euro each over the next of the, of the next 100 days, well, then uh, Carrie can achieve its target of raising
1: 100,000 euros in 100 days. Well, Live 95 Helping Limerick Children 2022, Carrie is the beneficiary again, and uh, we will be supporting this campaign uh, with uh, an online and uh, on-air uh, advertising push, so people will be hearing about it uh, in the days and weeks to come uh, on Live 95 and seeing it across our social media. And, of course, people can go to carry directly, including online on the Carry website, uh, to uh, support, to find out more, to reach out to Colin O'Brien and his colleagues. Uh, and uh, obviously it is really really important. They are banging the drum for government funding as well, uh, but uh, currently uh, they haven't got a direct answer on that yet, and they are looking desperately for this money because they need to try to deal with the massive waiting list, uh, which has grown even more. Due to the pandemic, as Colum explained, Colum O'Brien, uh, who's general manager of Carry, their national headquarters on the Ennis Road here in Limerick, and Joanne, particularly, thank you very much for sharing your story, and as Colum says, helping to break the silence this morning. So, if you can help at all, bear it in mind and see what you can do.
0: Your views, your news, your Limerick today with Joe Nash
2: on Live ninety-five.